0: So social media, whether you participate or not, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter or any of the other avenues of social media, you have to admit we've changed our language because of social media. How often do you hear someone say, hey, I liked your picture, I liked it. Not not I like your picture, but I liked it. Past tense and active as an action verb. I liked it, I pushed a button on the computer and I gave you a thumbs up. I liked your picture. There's another way that, uh, that we see language changing due to social media. We've turned some nouns into verbs. You'll never guess who friended me. Friended is now a, a verb. I got friended. I got friended by someone I haven't seen in years. I got friended by someone I've never even met. Friended. And that's led to another new word in our vocabulary. It's led to the word unfriended. The dictionary the dictionary, defines unfriended as to remove a person from one's list of friends or contacts on a social media website. One day you click on someone's name to see what they're up to. You, you go to see what's happening in their lives and suddenly you, you can't see anything. Their contact information is gone. You have been unfriended unfriended, and you're left to wonder, what did I do? Did I I offend this person? Did I say something that hurt them? Did I do something they didn't like? Did, Did I accidentally hit the unfriend button? Because sometimes that's what it amounts to. You know, there are whole psychological studies being done on the psychological trauma of being unfriended. But the reality is, We friended people, and we unfriended people long before Facebook. It's just that we may have been more subtle in the way we did it then. You know, life changes, and the paths that we're on change, the the interests that we have change, and, and we suddenly realize we are no longer going in the same direction as someone that we once were very close to. Someone makes a choice. A choice of behavior or something that they value more than they value a friendship with us. And so we have to make a choice. Do I go along with that? Or do I take a stand? Do I draw a line and say, this is where this friendship ends. So in the scene that you saw in the TV series, God Friended Me, there is one episode where Miles gets a friend's request or a friend's suggestion from God. That's how the God account hooks him up with other people, connects him to other people that he can help. He gets a friend suggestion from the God account. But Miles feels like he needs a break. God has kept him busy with all of these new friends, helping people with their problems, serving others and and blessing others. And Miles is tired. And the next thing he knows, the God account is gone. It has disappeared. God has unfriended him. It's an interesting episode. It ought to cause us to stop and ask, though, what what could we do that would make God unfriend us? Could we do something that would make God want to unfriend us? Or, perhaps more importantly, what could we do that would signify that we are unfriending God? That we no longer want to be His friend? We're going to be in the, the letter of James, the little book of James in the back of your Bible today. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. If you want to use those blue Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1012. And as always, the notes are available if you're using the U uh, the, the Version Bible app. My notes are available there. We're spending the month looking at what it means to be friended by God, for God to declare. That He wants a relationship with us. That He wants to be our friend. You know, that doesn't work just one way. Friendships are a matter of give and take. It takes two people, at least two people, to form a friendship. Are there ways that we say to God, I want to be your friend? And are there ways that conversely we might say to God, I don't want to be your friend? Here's what James has to say in chapter 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So what is it that gets in the way of our friendship with God. As James lays out this passage here, I see there are three. There are three enemies that make us, that want to make us make a choice. Three enemies that want us to choose, them or God. And the first one is one we know all too well. The first enemy is ourselves. And that's where it all begins, isn't it? Ourselves. That's, that's where Jesus draws the line. You remember Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 If anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me and James follows suit James does not mince words at all James gets right to the heart of the problem what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you quarrels it means war what what is it that puts you at war what what causes battles What causes those wars within yourself and and wars with other people? What, What causes fights? What causes conflict? That inner turmoil that you feel? What is the root of it? He says, is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. It is your passions. It is your desires that you have that conflict with the desires that God has for you. That's not unique to our friendship with God. That is not unique to our friendship with God. That's all friendships. You find someone that you've known so well, someone you've been so close to, and suddenly they are making choices that pull them away from you. And too often it comes to a head. And we have to say, I can't go where you're going. I can't go where you're going emotionally. I can't go where you're going spiritually. I can't go where you're going physically. We put God in that same position. When we put things that we desire above what He desires for us. It seems so simple, and yet I can't tell you how often I've had someone say, I just don't know what went wrong. I just don't know what happened. God feels so distant from me now. God feels like He's so far away. Why has God abandoned me? Like, have you not seen the choices you've been making? Have you not seen the choices you have made that have that have pulled you away from God? Why didn't you hold on to Him? James says the, the problem, uh, at the root of the problem, is the passions that are at war within you. The passions that are at war within you. You know, it's the same word, passions, the same word that Jesus uses in the parable of the soil. Remember the parable of the soils? Farmer goes out and he scatters his seed on the soil, it falls, some of the seed falls on, on, on the path. And it gets trampled underfoot and it, it dies. Some of it falls on the on the rocks, and there's no room for any root, and so that, that seed dies. And then there's some that fall among the thorns. Some of the some of the, the seed falls among thorns. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, Jesus says that the thorns are those who hear, they hear the word, but as they go on their way, as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches. And passions and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Their fruit does not mature. Self will do that to you. Self will choke what God has planted in you, so there's no room for growth. And the result is what James goes on to describe in verses 2 and 3. He says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. <laughs> You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. To spend it on your passions. Lord, if you will just let me win the Powerball. Lord, if you will just let me win the Powerball, I promise I will tie. I will give 10% to the church. I will help the fine people at Oblong Children's Christian Home. I will help missionaries. I will do all those things that I should be doing now, but I'm not because I haven't won the Powerball. So if you let me win the Powerball, I will spend my... You ever stop to consider that the most gracious thing God does for you every week is keep you from winning the Powerball? You ever stop to think that that's grace? That the grace of God, by the grace of God, you do not win the Powerball? Did you know, this is a fun statistic, did you know that down in Florida, 70% of all big winners are broke within five years? 70% of all the big winners are broke within five years. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are broke right now? Let's see it. Who's broke? Yeah! Congratulations! Congratulations! You got it figured out. You, you cut out the middleman. It, it's amazing. You didn't even have to go downtown to buy a ticket. It, it's great. You're in the same condition that they're in. James says our passions are at war with God. Our passions are at war with who He wants us to be. We have to stop and ask, do we desire the things for ourselves that God desires for us? You see, it, the problem's bigger than just us, though. The problem's bigger than just self it is a whole system that is turned against the heart of god and so that the enemy isn't just self james goes on and identifies a second enemy there's self but there's also the world the world is our enemy as well now right here maybe a, a few of you've got some bells going off in your head right now when i say the world's your enemy and some of you're saying wait a minute wait a minute there's a scripture, I remember this, there's a scripture that says, for God so loved the world, bruh. There's a scripture that says God, God so loved the world. How can the world be our enemy if God loves the world? Well, the, the Bible uses the word world in two different ways. Uh, one way that the Bible uses the word world is to talk about the people of the world. You and me, all of us. We are, we are part of the world. That's where we get John 3.16, for God so loved the world. It's also where we get John 17. John 17 is even better. In John 3.16, I think, it says, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That's you and me. That's people. But James is using the word world in a different way. He's talking about a, a system that is ruled by Satan. The one that you need to resist. A system that is ruled by Satan with very different values for you, with very different goals for your life. Verse 4, he says, you adulterous people, and and when you hear that in the Bible, when you hear you adulterous people, he's he's talking about, he's not speaking physically of adultery, he's talking about you can't keep a commitment. You can't keep a commitment to God. You're treating God like, like you've not made a commitment to Him. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Enmity is a word we don't use a lot anymore. It means hostility. It means hatred. It means antagonism. Let that sink in just a little bit. Friendship with the world is hatred to God. Friendship with the world is you being hostile to God. Friendship with the world is antagonism to God. I'm not sure if you remember this, but last year we spent the entire year talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The whole year, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. You might have some memory of that in a little way. Uh, those fruits, the fruit of the Spirit, stand in opposition to another list that Paul gives there in Galatians 5, a list that he calls the works of of the flesh or you might say the works of yourself or even the works of this world where do they lead in Galatians chapter 5 verse 20 he gives part of that list it's a very long list but in Galatians 5 20 he lists the works of the flesh as idolatry sorcery enmity same word that James uses here enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions And so I have to ask, where does that kind of hostility lead us? Where will that kind of hostility lead you? It will lead you away from the fruit of the Spirit. It will lead you away from love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the rest of them. And I'm not being judgmental when I say this. I really am not. I'm simply reading what I see here in the text. When you see someone who is consumed with enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger, rivalries, rivalries where you're going to pit one person against another person, dissensions where you talk bad about the people over here uh, to the people that are over here, and divisions, that's where rivalries and dissensions ultimately lead to divisions, to dividing the body of Christ and dividing families, dividing people. When you see someone consumed by those things, you have to stop and ask, is that person a friend of God? Is, is that person demonstrating friendship with God? Or, or by their actions, have they unfriended God? Are they placing their allegiance somewhere else? The word that's used in the New Testament for world is the Greek word cosmos which is where we get the English word cosmos, okay? Remember that? Do you remember the TV series Cosmos with, with, uh, Carl, with Carl Sagan? You talk about the billions and billions of stars that are out there. Carl Sagan had this show called, called Cosmos, and in that, in that show, Carl Sagan made this, made this statement. The cosmos is all that there is, or ever was, or ever will be. The cosmos is all there is, all there ever was, or all that will be. I, I think that's a very short sighted statement. Because that kind of cosmos, that kind of world, has no room for God. That kind of world has no room for Jesus to break in. That kind of cosmos has no room for for God so loved the world. No room for God friending you. It is a closed system with no hope, with no joy, with no one greater who loves you and wants the best for you. All through the Bible, we're presented with a choice. From the very beginning, we're, we're presented with a choice. A choice to follow the way of this world or a choice to follow God? Joshua says in Joshua 24, verse 15, choose this day whom you will serve. You have to make a choice. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. He calls us to decide where does our allegiance lie? Are you going to serve this world and follow its system to its inevitable frustrating end? Or are you going to serve God and find life in Him? And I think that's where we are all too often confronted by the final enemy. The final enemy that desires to keep us away from friendship with God. One enemy is self. One enemy is the world. But this final enemy is an enemy that says, you've already blown it. You've already lost your chance. It's too late for you. And that enemy is shame. I don't think there's a single one of us who hasn't felt the pull of these enemies. We struggle with self. We struggle with self. There's times when we put our own wants ahead of what God wants for us. We've struggled with the world. We've struggled with where our allegiance lies and and, and what can we have that's just for today. I think James' words here are universal. We've all experienced their effect the difference is what do we do with them and where do we go after them i want you to hear what he says in verse 6 after after being very very blunt about our sin and about our failure and about where we go with our passions and where this world is taking us after being very blunt look at what he says in verse 6 but turns it around but he gives more grace Do you hear that? But He gives more grace. Can you hear that? Will you allow yourself to believe that God's grace is greater than the passions that pull you? Will you allow yourself to believe that God's grace is greater than the sin of self? You see, the problem is some people just can't believe that. They know they've screwed up. They know they've blown it and they can't forgive themselves. And so they assume God can't forgive them either. I'm willing to bet there's an awful lot you've done that you regret. I'm willing to bet that your sin has hurt you, your sin has hurt others, your sin may have ruined lives, your your sin may have ruined homes. It's likely that you've hurt the people that you love the most and you feel that regret. Regret because we've chosen ourselves over God, because we've chosen our wants over His presence. That kind of regret can drive us away from God. That, can ke- that kind of regret can keep us away from God. And that is what shame does. That is shame. But you know, that's never what God wants for us. James says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives Grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Unless you've committed adultery. Oh wait, it doesn't say that, I'm sorry. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you unless you're divorced. It doesn't say that. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you unless, unless you're an alcoholic, unless you're a drug addict, unless you're addicted to pornography. It's not there. There is no unless. There is no unless to that promise. It is clear. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Do you hear the certainty of that? He will draw near to you. Not He might. If you're really serious this time, He might draw near to you. He will draw near to you. Can I suggest that certainty is there? Because He never left you in the first place. Because you're the one that stepped away from Him, He never stepped away from you. Can I suggest that certainty is there? Because while you walked away, He did not walk away from you. The last few verses here in James 4 give us a a very stark picture of what repentance looks like. James says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. There is a time to mourn. The Bible says that. Ecclesiastes says, there is a time to mourn. But the same verse that says, there is a time to mourn, that verse also says, there is a time to dance. There's a time to mourn, and there's a time to dance. And God, your your Father, your Friend, longs to dance with you. When it comes to friendship with God, we are... Presented with a choice. Do we accept His offer of friendship? Or do we remain loyal to self in this world? Do we allow our shame to keep us from God's offer of friendship? Do we unfriend Him? Yeah, I, I've got to say, self is always going to be there. You know, you, you can think you got the best of it today, but it might get the best of you tomorrow. Self will always be there. The world is always going to be there. The pull of your passions won't give up. The world will continue to try to lay a trap in in you in, in a system that says, this is all there is. You can't expect anything better than this. You might as well get everything you can get. But God will never give up on you. God will never abandon you. He will never stop seeking the lost. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Your friend, your father, longs to dance with you. He longs to exalt you. He longs to lift you up out of your shame, out of the system of this world, and out of yourself. God is always, always ready to welcome your friendship. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Today, if today you want to take that stand, if you want to stand and say, I want to be God's friend, we want to be here, and we want to stand with you. And if that's a decision you need to make today, we're going to sing a song here in just a second. Steve's going to come, and Steve's going to be here. If if you need one of us to pray with you, we would love to do that. Steve would, would love to be able to do that. I'd love to be able to do that with you. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to invite you to come. We want to be your friend. God wants to be your friend. Let's stand together and sing.